Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verses uh, 13 through something. We'll see how far we get. But let's pray, and we'll get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Jesus, we thank you for the time of worship that we have, just to fix our eyes on you and, and to talk about you and sing to you, Lord. And uh, we, we pray, Lord, that this morning would be all about you. And God, we pray that you'd minister to our heart, that you'd speak to us now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that you would uh, begin to rid us of sin, Lord, that there be uh, just a renewed heart in each of us this morning. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do for us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 8. Last time we were together, I think Jake taught verses 1 through 12, looking at the, the woman who's caught in adultery and the very act of adultery. And for some reason, it's just the woman who's caught in adultery and there's no man who was brought to the scene. But they're doing this. The religious leaders are hatching this plan as to trap Jesus in a ethical dilemma. They question him about whether or not, is it sin or, or is she to be stoned or not? Jesus never condemns her. He never says, yes, she should be stoned, but, but then turns it back. He begins to write on the ground, and we're not sure what he writes on the ground. Some believe that he's writing in chronological order. He's writing each and every one of these guys' sins that's around them, or he's writing out the Ten Commandments, or we're not sure what he's writing. Something that he was writing the Ten Commandments, reminding us that the, the commandments of God were actually written by the hand of God, and seeing Jesus as God in that way. But we're not really sure what he was writing, but one by one, each of these men had dropped their rock and began to walk away. And so that is the story that kind of leads us into the next section of scripture. And it ends with Jesus declaring something in verse 12. It says, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, this is one of those epic I am statements that we have in scripture that Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And that then leads us into chapter 8, verses 13 through 21, which the Pharisees are then questioning what he has just said. So as he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees then say in verse 13, Therefore, they said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So Jesus makes a statement and they say that you're bearing, you are bearing witness of yourself. In any court case or whatever, there needs to be an extra witness. If, if you're declaring something that I am an amazing hockey player. I don't know why I just thought of. I, and, and I'm just telling you how wonderful of a hockey player I am, but there's no evidence outside of my own witness. You're, you need someone else to come alongside to say, yes, they actually are. I have seen him play hockey. He's a great slap shotter. I don't know. There, there needs to be an extra witness. And so they say to Jesus, you bear witness of yourself. Who, who else can vouch for you that this is true? And so Jesus then is going to answer their question. And what's really funny is that a lot of people have said that Jesus never claimed to be God, ever. 
Throughout scripture, throughout his ministry, Jesus never claims to be God. I do not think that they have ever read John chapter 8. Because John chapter 8, then, I mean, over and over and over, Jesus is going to either talk about who he is, where he comes from, and who he is. I mean, I don't know how you can get around that. What he's about to say in John chapter 8 are some of the, the greatest evidences, if that's even a word, just made it up, evidence plural, that, that he is, in fact, claiming to be God, equal with God himself being God. Jesus' response to them, your witness is not true, he says, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know where I come from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in, in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Jesus says, my witness, although, okay, let's, let's look at your law. Your law says there needs to be two. Well, I bear witness of myself, and also my Father, who is in heaven, bears witness of me. That's my backup. That's who declares that I am true. My Father, who's in heaven, bears witness of me. That God himself, God the Father, says and declares that I am who I am. God's okay with it, and so we should be okay with it. Verse 19, it says, Then they said to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. In verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury, and he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Why does John seem to, and the Holy Spirit seem to kind of lay that little part in there, that no one laid hands on him? Because of what he just said. What he just said was in an, ugh, dis to your mama's face. The, to, the, look, they said, well, who's your father? Jesus previously had said, you should know who my father, you pride yourself in knowing who God is. And the Jews prided themselves in that, their knowledge of God, their understanding of God. That was something that they prided themselves in, that they knew God more than anyone else. And, and they said, well, who's your father? And Jesus, you should know. And if you knew, then you would know me. And since you don't know my father, then you definitely don't know me. You don't even know who God is, son. And that's kind of how he leaves it. And the, and the reason John writes that no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come is because they wanted to lay hands on him. It would be one of those things where, where words have no, the last word has been said and now fisticuffs. We then will exchange blows. When the fight has begun. Have you ever, ever seen those matches? Where people are talking trash and oh you they're all talking trash against each other. And finally the death blow of all trash talking comes. You and it's like, that's it. That's it. What you just said has put it over the top. Well, bam. That that's where we're at in scripture. There's an intensity. In, in this whole section of scripture, all the way up until chapter 11, there's this building of intensity and also of, um, what's that word? Tension. This, this, 
chapter 7 through 11. 7-11. This is tense because of the things that Jesus is saying. And so it says that no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Listen, Jesus was living for a specific hour, a specific moment, a specific time. Everything was leading to that one moment. His whole life was lived in accordance to the will of God, in accordance to that one moment in time that he would be nailed to a cross. That's what he's living for. And when he says, my time has not yet come, that is the time in which he's speaking of. That is the moment that he is living for. And in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. This is a heavy, heavy verse. And it's in red in my Bible. Jesus is saying this. And I want you to look at John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Look at what he says in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Listen, listen to these verses right here, these words, that where I am, there you may be also. Contrast that with John chapter 8, verse 21. I am going away. I just sound like an Italian. I'm going away. I am going away. <laughs> I'm so tired. And you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Wow. What a contrast between when he's talking to someone religious and when he's talking to someone who believes by faith. He says to these men, where I am going, I'm going away. Speaking of his death, I'm going to die. I am going to rise again. I'm going to I can't even talk. I'm going, I'm going to go. I've been trying to speak Spanish for like a week, and now I'm just like stuck in this like, hola, listen, I am going away, and I, you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. This is based upon a religious life. Someone is desiring to earn heaven, to get there on their own merit. Jesus says, I'm going away, meaning I'm going to die, and you're going to seek me, and you're going to die in your sin. Sin brings about death. That is the result. It always brings. It never changes. That is the result of sin. It never has a different outcome. Sin always brings about, when it is full grown, brings about death. Always, 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 sin equals death. Never changes. Never changes. Jesus says, unless... You believe in who I am. You are going to die in your sin because that's what sin brings. And no amount of trying to equal out or even out your good works with your bad will ever even itself out. A lot of people feel that way, that if I kind of heap on the good, it will outweigh the bad. It is impossible to resolve because sin, the consequence of it is death. Something has to die. Something has to die. 
And when Jesus is saying here is, I am going away, I'm going to die and I'm going to ascend, and you're going to look for me, and you're not going to find me, you're going to seek to live, and you're going to die in sin, because where I'm going, you cannot come unless you come through me. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. And what he's saying to them is, you're going to try and get there on your own. You're going to try and get to God. And listen, you're going to die in your sin because unless you come through the one who is righteous, there is no way you're going to make it to heaven on your own. This is a heavy statement right off the bat. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Contrast that with John chapter 14 where he says, I am going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. Contrast to someone who comes by faith and someone who comes by their own merit. We cannot get to heaven. You cannot get to heaven by your good works. You cannot get to heaven by showing up to church on Sundays. You cannot get to heaven apart from faith in Jesus Christ. It does not work. It's impossible. Because all of us will stand before God someday. And when you say to Jesus, I don't want you... I'm going to stand before God in my own righteousness. That is ultimately what we say when we reject Christ. We say, I don't need him to be my righteousness. I will be it myself. Listen, you are mistaken. Your righteousness, as much good as you could possibly do, will never add up. It will never amount. We cannot earn it. And this is where grace comes into the picture. Grace is the most amazing, wonderful thing that we could ever know as Christians. The amazing grace of God. Although that we do not deserve His grace, He gives it to us. That we've been given salvation by faith. It's a work that God has done. Salvation is a complete and total work of God. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you cleaning up your life and coming to him. Listen, Jesus doesn't say get right, meaning go and fix it, fix the problem of sin, do better, and then come back to me when you're looking better. He says, come to me as you are and watch me change you by the grace and love of God. What Jesus is saying to these men is, listen, I'm going to go away and you're going to seek me. And you're going to die in sin. And it contrasts with the, the earlier verse in verse 12 where he says, He who follows me will not walk in darkness but has the light of life. Death and life are in Jesus. Light and life are in Jesus. If you believe in him, you're walking in the light and you will have eternal life. It's by faith. A lot of times I think as young people we have this struggle of like, I've sinned. I mean, ever like you when you sin, like you sin, like you don't just like sin, you sin, like you went, you go hard when you're gonna sin. Like if anything, like just do it is your motto. And when you sin, you don't just you're going big gulp style. You're going in deep. And what follows with sin is this guilt. Because you are a turn of the light, because you are a Christian, if you are in this room, and you're, walk, and you're walking the light, and you fall into sin, what comes along with that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Spirit of God lives in you, He will convict your heart of sin, and it's to bring us to repentance, not to condemn us. What comes along is the devil, and he says, you piece of trash, you little punk, you sinner. 
Isn't it crazy? He'll tempt you into sin, and then you give in, and then he's like, oh. It's like those people who trick you. Never mind. It's, it's one of those things. But when we fall into sin, there's something we need to understand, and that is the grace of God. It is the grace of God. If you understand grace which is God accepts you as you are. He has saved you because you believe in Jesus. It has nothing to do with how good you are. So when we understand our salvation comes by grace, that when I sin, I run back to Jesus and repent because in him is forgiveness and there's restoration. I still live with consequences of sin, obviously. But if you do not understand grace properly, what will happen is you will go on this roller coaster of then running from God, either going into sin and saying, it's, it's over for me. I've blown it too far. I'm too gone. It's, it's, there's no way to get back. And what you'll do, either you'll go back in to the world to then just live as you feel that's what you deserve, or you'll try and go and do good things in order to earn the love of God or to feel as though you deserve to come back to the Lord. That's a misunderstanding of grace. If you understand grace properly, when you mess up, when you sin, you will run back to Jesus because there's grace available. When we falter, when we sin, which we all do, all have fallen. Some of us fall harder than others. I fall hard. How many of you, just in a physical sense, if I'm gonna fall, all this weight, when it gets going, it's going down and it's going down hard. It, I don't, there's no like catching myself. There's, it's face, pavement, ouch. It, it's like, yeah. And I try and be athletic and like catch myself. It never works. But when we fall, I know for myself, when I fall, there's this, sometimes this misunderstanding of grace. And I forget about the grace of God. And I feel as though if I do more, God's pleased with me again. That at some point, God was so disappointed and so angry and I had ignited the wrath of God again towards myself. And, and I am just, and there's this misunderstanding where I try and earn back the love of God instead of just coming back and saying, Lord, forgive me. And falling upon the grace of God. So the Jews said, verse 22, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come. I think they're kind of hoping he would just kill himself. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. Yeah, you are of this world and I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Before we are saved, we are from beneath. We are born sinners. We are born of this earth. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, you must be what? Easy. Calm down. <laughs> I, that was the quietest thing I've ever heard. I'm born again. You got to say it like a Baptist preacher from the South. You must be born again. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus says, you must be Oh my gosh. If I have to be awake, so do you. It, 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 you know what I mean? If I'm going to be up here, you got, we got to be here. Be here. It, you must be front row. Come on. I know one. You must be 
Hallelujah. You, that is a necessity. It must happen. Jesus says, you are from below, I am from above. Which means why I'm saying what I had previously said, if you do not believe, you will die in your sins. You must be born again. And that comes by faith in Jesus. It is by faith, when we believe in him, our sinful soul, which is dead in sins and trespasses, it becomes alive again in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, you have made me alive again. Where I was once dead, I am now alive. Jesus is saying, if you're from, you must be born not just below, you must be born again from above. You must be born again. And if you don't, you will die in your sins. Not only will you die physically, but you will die the second death, which is in hell. People, there is no hell. Are you sure? Because Jesus sure thought there was. He surely agreed that there was a hell. The second death. Not only will you die physically, but you will die for all eternity. And you're like, well, how does that work? I don't know, but it's not going to be fun. On fire for a long time. Then they said to him, who are you? This is like ridiculous. I'm sure Jesus is like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Have I not made it clear yet? He's saying, unless you believe in me, you're going to die. Only God can save. And they go, well, who who are you? (laughs) And I love Jesus' response. Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. Is what I've been telling you this whole time. I'm sure he didn't say it all sarcastically and like jerky like I'm saying it, but uh, come on. You guys are the scholars of the time. You know the word of God. It's just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. I'm communicating what I've heard from my father. And they did not understand. And he spoke to them, Oh, when, or sorry, they did not understand that. He spoke to them of the Father. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me, and the Father who has not left me alone, for I always do do those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Jesus is speaking of his crucifixion. He says, when I am lifted up, when I'm lifted up, then you'll know. Do you remember that scene at the cross when Jesus dies? There's a centurion soldier who is off to the side witnessing this whole thing, and he says to them, surely this is the Son of God. Jesus says, you're not going to know, you're not going to know until, until I'm lifted up. And when I'm lifted up, you're going to know who I am. And what's really interesting, I find, is that the crucifixion of the Messiah was predicted way before Jesus ever came on the scene. It was prophesied that he would die upon a tree, okay, which is he would be thrust through. The Jewish way of execution is not crucifixion. What is their means of execution. Stoning. Stoning. They would throw rocks at you until you die. Jesus was 
predicted or prophesied that he would die. He would be crucified by the people that he came to save, which were the Jews, but he would die in a non-Jewish way. 200 years before crucifixion was ever invented, Jesus was predicted or prophesied that he would die in a Roman way. Does that not blow your mind? Jesus would be lifted up upon a cross. And he says, and when that happens, you're going to know who I am and who has sent me. He says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And I want you to know something. There is such power in the message of the cross of Christ. There is such power in the message of the gospel. I think sometimes we feel like we're going out there with like two sticks. and We're like trying to make a fire. And what, we're, what we have in the message of the cross is the power of Jesus. The power of God in the word of God. When we tell people what Jesus has done, don't feel, I know sometimes I'm like, well, I don't even know if they'll believe. Listen, there is power in the message of the gospel. Ooh, where are we? He spoke these words, many believed in him. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, and they said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in in the house forever, but to a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. These verses are probably a Bible study in and of themselves. But what Jesus says is, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What does that word abide mean? All right. Anybody? Is there a man in the house? Abide? What? That was so weird, Raymond. I thought that was coming from you, and your mouth wasn't moving. I'm like, where is it coming from? To dwell. To dwell. To live. If you live by my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. How do you know the truth? How do you know what's true? By the word of God. How do you know what's true? It's by the word of God. And he says, and the truth shall set you or make you free. And when he says this to them, they don't understand. So we've never been in prison. We've never been in bondage. I don't really understand what you mean by that. Maybe you're speaking of the, the exodus from Egypt. I mean, they were in bondage, but we're not in bondage. I don't understand what, you're, what you mean by this. And he says to them, anyone who sins, you become a slave of sin. Anyone who sins becomes a slave of sin, which is, is hilarious because the devil promises freedom. He promises freedom through doing what we feel we want to do or what the flesh desires. He says, engage in what your flesh wants. There's such freedom in just accepting who you are. Stop fighting that feeling. Stop fighting that mentality. Stop fighting that temptation. As soon as you embrace that, you'll be free. You'll, you'll be so, so free in doing what you want to do. And there is, for a moment, freedom. 
There is a sense of, yes, finally, I'm doing what I want to do. But what, he, what the devil doesn't tell you is that freedom will come at a cost because it's all a sham. What you really want to do, if, if you're fighting sin or fighting a temptation and you feel like, why am I even fighting it? What's the point of this? Why not just give in to it because I really want it? And I think like it's going to make me happy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to serve me. In actuality, when the devil promises freedom and we feel as though we're, we're the anarchists doing what we want to do, we're going against the grain. In fact, you are a corporate stooge doing exactly what the devil wants you to do. You're not free at all. You are now bound by sin. You will begin to go down a road of continually doing what that sin tells you to do. You become a slave of what you thought you controlled. Jesus says it right here. Anyone who sins, you become a slave to that sin. Ask anyone who's an alcoholic, are they a slave to that bottle? Ask anyone who's addicted to drugs, are you a slave to that needle? You do exactly what it wants you to do. You don't control it. Ask anyone who's addicted to pornography or sex or something in that way, are you controlling it? Absolutely not. You're a slave to it. And Jesus says, anyone who commits sin becomes a slave of sin. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus brings freedom from sin and from the consequence of sin, which is death. Jesus brings that freedom where we no longer, listen, you no longer have to sin. If Jesus lives in your heart, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in your heart, which is what happens when you get saved, you no longer have to sin. You're no longer a slave to it. You've been set free from it. But we, how many of you sin? We choose. We all fall and make mistakes. We all, we will never be perfected until we're in heaven. But listen, we don't have to. Because you're not a slave to it anymore. Who the Son has set free, guess what? You are free indeed. I love indeed. When someone's like, would you like, indeed, I would. What does that mean? Absolutely, yes. Oh, oh, George Costanza. Yes, we would love it. Free indeed. If, if Jesus says you are free, what does that mean? You're free. If he's the judge over all the universe, the only one who could condemn you, and he says, I don't condemn you, what does that mean? You're definitely not condemned. You've been set free. Listen, if you're fighting sin this morning, you don't have to do it. If you are facing a temptation, guess what? You don't have to do it. You've been set free from that sin. And when the devil tempts you, you say, you could say something, but you do not have to. I am no longer a slave to that. I'm no longer controlled by that. I'm controlled by the Spirit of God. I belong to Jesus. We were going to try and get through the whole chapter, but there's no possible way. It's just not going to happen. Unless it would be death by Bible study this morning. You would just kill over and 
Let's keep going. No, I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that is found in you. Lord, that we no longer have to sin. You've set us free from that. But Lord, we are tempted on a daily basis. Lord, we're tempted. We're enticed by the things of the world. Lord, please, we ask that you would give us power to overcome sin. Power over the devil. Lord, that you, through your death and through your resurrection, Lord, we have power over sin. We've been given victory over the devil. So Lord, we pray this morning, God, that you'd minister to our hearts. Lord, if any of us are in here seeking true freedom, seeking to find it and, and just living for ourselves, but Lord, we've found that we are miserable. We've become a slave to what we thought we wanted. Lord, we pray that your word, as we've heard this morning, would set us free. Lord, we're reminded this morning that apart from you, we will die in our sins, that we are in desperate need of a Savior, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we will, if we don't confess to you, if we don't come by you, if we don't put our faith in you, if we don't believe in you, Lord, we will die in our sins. So Lord, we thank you this morning for the gift of salvation. We were hopeless, and Lord, through you we have hope. God, we were dead in sin and trespasses, but Lord, in you we have life. We walked in darkness, Lord, but in you we walk in light. And Jesus, we're so thankful for that this morning. And Lord, as we worship you, as we close out this morning, may we rejoice in that gift. Lord, if there's anyone in here that feels condemned, Lord, we pray that as we sing, as we worship, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to them. Lord, that you don't condemn them, but Lord, that they would confess that sin Give it over to you that they might walk in the newness of life. Walk in the forgiveness of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for um, the gift of forgiveness, Lord, that you long to forgive us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless these kids. Lord, be with them as they enter back into their campuses. Lord, as they go into uh, a godless place, Lord, may they be light. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. I see you go before us today in Jesus' name. Amen.